When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. On the Texas A&M Sports Network, this is Studio 12. All right, so Travis, my understanding is that before joining me here in the south end zone of Kyle Field, you are fresh off of a tour of the new facilities that are oncoming due to the successful Centennial campaign and the launch of the South End Zone Suites right here above us. I am very curious, what did you see uh, as you went through all the construction projects? And a lot of that will be complete, and we will see it in its fullest very soon. Yeah, um, Will, I suspect that there are places in the country that have maybe this piece maybe a little bit nicer than what we have or that piece maybe a little bit nicer, but cumulatively. Mm-hmm. Um, the commitment to facilities um, that has been engaged in the last uh, 20, 25 years at Texas A&M, and you walk through and you see it's unbelievable. We're it feels like we're right at the very top and obviously uh, extremely appreciative of the donors to Texas A&M Athletics that have made that happen. It's it's unbelievable. I, I walked into um, the Coolidge Performance Center, which is the new indoor football facility. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could park more than a couple of planes in that day. <laughs> it's, um, Could double as a hangar if we need it. <laughs> if we needed it. Um, but, you know, it's um, – I was asking – Ross was gracious enough to invite me to attend uh, this this meeting. He, he, he has a senior staff meeting on Monday, and uh, so he was gracious enough to ask me and my role at the 12th Man Foundation to participate with them on this particular occasion. And, um, in that in Coolidge Indoor Performance Center, um, you know, it's 
the the width of a football field is 53 and a half yards yeah, wide, yeah. I believe. Always just rounded to 54, but it's a little less than that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and there's so there's 12 feet on either sideline, right? Of hmm. So it's really wide, and then it's 160 yards long. <laughs> I did not know that. Yes. I didn't know the length there. So it's um, it's an amazing facility. Um, they were up there. They had guys on lifts up there spraying. I, I don't know what it was. They were spraying the metal up in the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were way they were way up there. So it's a it's a spectacular <laughs> facility. But everything that I saw today was was spectacular we started uh at indoor track and field you know which is now immediately adjacent to cushing track and field stadium Mm -hmm. um and that is a beautiful first class facility that uh, is going in i am sure that um, coach henry is just ecstatic about his movement into that facility it is um it's a very um intimate environment but it is it's incredible it really beautiful, beautiful facility. Um, and so uh, really nice. It's going to be brick all the way around that facility. Um, so that was that was really nice. Then we came over to Kyle Field. Um, we walked the 23 new suites that are in the south mm-hmm. end zone of Kyle Field. Spectacular view uh, down to Kyle Field from those suites. Um, so those were really, really nice. Um, and then we went through the Bright Complex and all the work that is um, going on there. Um, and then ultimately over to the Coolidge Performance Indoor. And as I mentioned, huge facility. Um, you know, so we're, we uh, we are very fortunate here at Texas a and Very yeah, fortunate. You aren't kidding. You mentioned the suites uh, in the south end zone right above us. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, we were coming off – a five and seven football season, uh, but those suites, even after that, they got gobbled up pretty quick, weren't they? I mean, it, it kind of just shows the passion and the desire to just be involved and be there with Texas A and M football. Yeah, um, that that that's correct. I mean, the um, you know the beautiful thing about Aggies is is they don't let a little bump in the road get in the way of their support of their program. Uh, so we're very appreciative, all of us at the 12th Man Foundation and all of you guys in Texas A&M Athletics. We should be thankful for that every day. Our people are, they are committed. They are so committed. And so we're so thankful for that. Yes, those 23 suites sold, sold very quickly. Um, the support and wrapping up of the Centennial campaign happened in the midst of um, this challenging season, but everybody knows that we're going to come back and make a strong comeback this year. We're really excited for that. And was it uh, the Centennial campaign launched, was it a Champions Council weekend and there was dancing on the 50-yard line of Kyle Field? That doesn't seem that long ago. No, (laughs) so that would have been the public launch of the Centennial campaign would have been in April of 2022 um and then we would have um closed out that campaign um um in the spring of 23 but there was two years of fundraising that transpired there um and we have over 350 donors that com- uh committed to uh made gifts to that campaign um and the impact is again 
it's it's enormous for Texas A&M athletics indoor track. Every sport will use the uh, Sin Academic and uh, and Wellness Center. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to be a, a, a cornerstone to this. And then obviously uh, the Coolidge performance. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, we're we're again very very uh, very blessed here at Texas A&M to have supporters like we have. Um, and those 300 plus donors that uh, supported the centennial campaign, the best of the best, um, and they're helping position Texas A&M for the future of college athletics, which is an interesting future, right, Will? <laughs> that it is. One that uh, everybody's still trying to grasp uh, <laughs> what it looks like. Me, Nobody has a crystal ball. Me and you included in that, for sure. You aren't kidding, but... Yeah. Uh, so that's Travis Dabney with us, president of the 12th Man Foundation. little update there on the facilities that are oncoming with the Centennial Campaign. He mentioned indoor track, indoor football, uh, the Bright Complex, the suites right above us here in the south end zone of Kyle Field, and the Sin Academic and Wellness Center coming online very soon. So that's kind of the present and the future. But when I get someone who graduated in, in the 90s, I like to talk a little history with them, too. Yep. So that, that's always important on this show. And you are Aggie class of 96, but we were reminiscing even before we started. We like to do that with a little prep work, a little research. And I I was wondering when your first Aggie game was, because I was wondering if it was right around the, the time of mine. Because at 1984, Iowa State, that was the first time I ever came to a game at Kyle Field. I was younger. I don't remember a ton, but I did remember the gaudy, hideous uniforms that Iowa State used to wear. Do you remember those? The red pants, the white jerseys, and just the glowing yellow helmet that had the the cyclone on the side of it. I think that was my most vivid memory of my first Aggie game is just how hideous the opponent's uniform was. That's how young I was at the time. But uh, you predated me a little bit on your first one. And and when we talk Heisman winners, you know, there's Johnny Manziel out there. We have two of our own, Johnny and and John David Crow. But you caught a Heisman winner, not in his Heisman year, but you caught a Heisman winner the first time you ever came to Kyle. I did. Um, Like you, I don't remember a ton. I do. I remember bits and pieces. Uh, but we played Boston College in 1982 here. I want to say the score ended up being 38-16 or something yeah, like that. I don't that. think we won it. We did not. No. I, I do this know. is Jackie's first year. This is 82. Jackie's, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is Jackie's first year. may have been his first game. Um, Could have been. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so don't I, – I, I can't say that I, I walked out of the stadium cursing um, – Doug Flutie. <laughs> um, that maybe was reserved for later. Yeah. Uh, I just know that we lost. I was really upset. Um, it was my, my first game. I was with my uh, with my dad and my brother. My dad, class of 62. Um, and I can remember very vividly. Um, so, Will, you know where the uh, Panda Express sits on the corner of at that time, Jersey and Texas Avenue, <laughs> right? There was a gas station there, and mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was a Shell station. Mm-hmm. And we pulled in that Shell station and filled up my dad's old, uh, Oldsmobile 88, and we drove back to the suburbs of North Houston, uh, or the main streets of 1960, as we used to like <laughs> to say. Um, and I was upset. 
I was I was really upset, but it began a a very long um, and important in my life relationship with Texas A and M athletics, and it's been it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, because I think of your upbringing with Aggie football. I always say Jackie Sherrill's time, R.C. Slocum's time, mid-'80s, three straight Cotton Bowls, and then what R.C. got going in the early 90s, which leads up to you entering school here. Not much of a funner time to watch Texas A&M football ever than, than that decade-ish period right there. Right. Well, so if I if I go from the 82 season to the 83 season, right, I can re- remember my next game. Now, I have an older sister who is enrolled at Texas A&M by this time. And I came to the 83 Texas game, which I don't know if you know anything yeah, about that game. No, it, it didn't a, go well. It, it wasn't. We were up 13-0 at halftime, yeah. and we lost 45-13. to Didn't we show up in all maroon for like the first we, time? We and, did. Yeah. We did. And I got a little story on that one too. Right. But So we were we were in all maroon. I was – there. Was, this was the time where they would set up um, – uh, chairs on the sideline mm-hmm. right and yeah. we, we did that the right. old track the old track yeah. right mm-hmm. um, we did that right up until the renovation to kyle field mm-hmm. um but sat on a uh on a chair on the track with my brother in the southwest corner of the stadium um and you know it was really fired up in that first half second half got a little little janky uh it wasn't it wasn't good but um, the program was on the premises, right? It was right there. Um, and then ultimately the next season in 84, right, the old story about we go up to Arkansas, Ray Childers gives this impassioned speech at Arkansas. We beat them. We beat, I think, SMU. TCU, and then, I TCU, think, was the next one. Because TCU. TCU actually had a shot at the Cotton Bowl That's that right. year. That's right. That was a rarity. That's but right. But they actually did that year. To, yep. But and the then, Aggies beat up on them. And then we beat Texas 37-12. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, we were off at that point. And uh, this will just go to show you, right, how uh, spoiled I was uh, in my early Aggie fandom. Didn't see us lose to Texas again until 1990. Mm-hmm. And I can remember um, saying to my dad, you know, I was just aghast that we had lost to Texas in Austin. And, and um I was just like, we don't lose to these guys. What, no. What's going on here? So um, it's, it was a great period, though. Yeah. Really great period. And then we ran off and beat them several more times in a row from, yeah. what, 91 to 94. So a lot, lot of good times in there. Yeah, and I remember after my graduation, staying in athletics with a full-time job, we started to welcome in a bunch of students that would help us with a lot of things in 12th Man Productions. Well, that actually coincided with Mac Brown kind of getting Texas going. Yes. And in the early 2000s, we struggled with Texas. Mm-hmm. So I had all these students coming to me saying, why don't we beat Texas? We never beat Texas. I was like, and I told them, I said, one thing you got to understand, these rivalries kind of go in cycles. I said, the first 12 times I watched the Aggies and Longhorns play, the Aggies won 11 of them. Yeah. And 90 was the one you're talking about, the only one they lost. I was like, they go in cycles, guys. It's not necessarily like we struggle beating Texas all the time. There was a time they were over there in Austin canning coaches because they couldn't handle the Aggies at all. Uh, That's right. That's right. I can remember vividly. Uh, at one of their ter- terminations, I think it was David McWilliams. I remember uh, that one. Um, well, yeah. I can remember reading the Austin American Statesman, and one of they, you know, they listed out 
potential candidates to replace David McWilliams. You know who their top candidate in the Austin American Statesman was? No. R.C. Slocum. He was going to make the jump over there? Well, I mean, our friends over in Austin, they <laughs> they can be... Think highly of themselves sometimes? Uh, presumptuous, <laughs> maybe, is a good word. I got a lot of good friends that went to UT. Uh, and, uh, um, so, but, yeah, I, it, it, was, it, was a, it was an interesting period. A lot of fun, though. A lot mm-hmm. of fun. And I remember the Fred Akers dismissal in the mid to late 80s, and he actually had a pretty good record at Texas. He did. He won some games, but they were almost blunt about it. Well, he's lost three in a row to A&M. And, I, oh, I think with the 84 game, might have been four in a row. Mm-hmm. And they said, I just won't cut it. He can't stay here. He's having problems with A&M, despite overall a pretty good record. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But – also, I, I, I got to switch sports on you here because, you know, you, we see Reed Arena now. We, we saw what Buzz Williams and Aggie basketball did last year, running back to the postseason, uh, NCAAs. I mean, we've seen uh, Billy Gillespie and Mark Turgeon and Billy Kennedy get the Aggies uh, to the NCAAs. But what a lot of people never got to see in Aggie basketball, but, but we did because of our upbringing and our school attendance here at these times, was the old G. Raleigh White Coliseum. And there was – I don't know the best word about it. Yeah, I mean, if you look at pictures of it now, all right, fine, you call it an old gym, but there was something to G. Raleigh White Coliseum, even though there was a time there we were struggling to, struggling to get some basketball success going. Yeah. Well, you know, the the um, we went from about 19 – about 1990, give or take – uh, until we went to the NCAA tournament in 2000 and what was it? Six, six is one. Right. Where uh, it was, AC Law and those guys yeah, got it was, us back. Yeah. No question. A pretty, pretty, uh, pretty tough time for Aggie basketball. But I do remember uh, going to a mini uh, basketball game in G. Raleigh White. Went to my share of college graduations in G. Raleigh White. Both of my sisters, uh, cousin or two. Um, and it was. Well, was that where yours was? Ninety six. No, no, no. no uh, I just had a victory lap in there. Didn't didn't get a. Wait, G-Rino. so did when you get I, Reed Arena in? I got Reed Arena <laughs> in. So <laughs> we don't want, we're not right. talking about any victory laps here, though. But no, uh, but I'm glad you got to uh, usher in Reed Arena with a graduation. That yeah. had to have been the first year of them. Yeah, there. yeah. It, it was. <laughs> um, but um, I, what I will say is, is that uh, G. Raleigh White, right? Um, there was nothing fancy about it. The concourses were not big, um, <laughs> but man, you were right on top of the action. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's guys older than us, Will, uh, that can talk about some of the absolutely spectacular basketball games that mm-hmm. were played there against UT, against U of H, mm-hmm. against SMU, Arkansas. Some epic battles. Um, and, you know, Shelby Metcalf, all-time winning as coach in Southwest Conference history. Nobody's taken that from him. Uh, and, you know, he won six conference championships in his 26 years here at Texas A&M um, and had some great teams. And I, I don't know uh, I don't know if you remember this or not, but at the very top of G. Raleigh White, those were windows at the top of mm-hmm. that building. 
Mm-hmm. And there, for a period of time, right, you can look at old old game footage or old pictures. <laughs> you can see s- sunlight streaming into yeah. that building. High brightness, just yeah. blaring in yeah. there. Yeah. And then ultimately they blacked those windows out. They literally painted over them. <laughs> um, but, yeah, just a, um, just a lot of great memories in that building. When, when uh, I was in school here and, again, basketball was struggling, Tony Baroni was the coach. And you probably remember this team, but the David Edwards, Mm -hmm. Damon Evans, Joe Wilbert, NIT team. Yeah. They looked like they were going to get it going. They did. Yeah. They did. (laughs) And David Edwards, I think you and I have have spoken about this, was a transfer from Georgetown. Mm -hmm. Really, I mean, extraordinary point guard, Joe Wilbert really good power forward mm-hmm. damon evans was a was a was a they were probably playing a probably a three forward um set back then but really good teams um and uh a really good team and really enjoyed watching them i watched them play unlv and Roly massimino <laughs> at g raleigh white <laughs> uh, everybody associates Roly massimino with villanova mm-hmm but at the end of his career, he actually took, after Tark left, took the job at UNLV. Mm-hmm. Uh, we won that game there. But uh, anyway, went off. I think we lost to New Orleans in the first round yeah. of the NIT. We so. did. Over there in New Orleans, I think it, the old, uh, I think it was called Poncher Train Arena. Yeah. Where yeah. they played. Yeah. And so <laughs> here's the interesting part about all this. Um, I can tell you all this. There's a chance I may forget my name on the way home from work. Um, I don't know why I retain some of those things, <laughs> but but I do for whatever reason. But see, it's fun, the stroll down memory lane. I, I tell you who I love talking to about G. Raleigh White and old Southwest Conference basketball is Dr. Thornton, John yes. Thornton, because he lived it as a coach and as a player. And he, he had a quick line about it one time. He always talked about how physical those games are. Mm-hmm. When A&M played UT, when A&M played Arkansas, I mean, it was somewhat basket brawling yes. the, the, the way they went after it. And he said, just imagine two teams didn't like each other, two teams that saw each other twice a year. Everybody knew everybody. Nobody wanted either side to ever get the best of them. And, and then he said, and just two officials. <laughs> I mean the elbows thrown that went unseen. It just it's it's so so cool to hear somebody who lived it that way talk about old Southwest Conference basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, uh, Doctor Thornton, he's a walk in history book. He's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. walk in history book. And um, but yeah, there, those were. Um, I mean, you think about the talent, especially when you start thinking about that '80s, that mid '80s time frame in Southwest Conference. John Conkak at SMU, Joe Klein at um, Arkansas, and then you got um, Faisalam at Jama. Yeah, that's you know, the early teams, yeah, yeah. early to mm-hmm. mid '80s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so even after Greg or after Akeem Olajuwon and and some of those guys, you know, Clyde Drexler left U of H, they still had Greg Anderson and a bunch of other really good players. That was a that was a special time. Southwest Conference. They threw out some basketball, yeah, some serious basketball. Mm-hmm. And then j- just to throw baseball at you too, I mean, you go through the '90s, well, late '80s, early '90s. That's when Mark Johnson really had it going. And yes. uh, I mean, nights at Olson Field were about as fun an environment to be in as anywhere on campus. No question. I I do remember watching uh, John Byington on ESPN. Mm-hmm. John Byington hit that home run. Um, 
I was living. I mean, I can I can visualize this. I I was in my parents' home, fifty five oh six Pebble Springs in Houston, <laughs> and uh, you know, cable was a relatively new thing at that point, <laughs> and watching A and M in Texas on baseball yeah. on, on ESPN and Byington was it was that it was a doubleheader? Yeah, uh, yeah. He he walked off both games. The first game was old HSE. Was it? On HSE, yeah. Okay. So a regional right. tele, telecast. Then game two that night went national. Tim Brando. ESPN, Tim Brando on the call, yeah. Yeah, Tim <laughs> I mean. Brando. So, yeah, Byington, and he went he went right field with that home run? Uh, game one was to left. Game two was left center. Okay. He pulled them both. Okay. But the, the game two was a little over toward the gap. A little okay. Bit, yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, and, you know, and you you look at baseball now, what Jim Schlossnagel has going, uh, it, it's kind of it's it's a place to be again. There's several around here, but uh, whether it's baseball, basketball, football, the guys you watched, who stood out just as players that almost if I could go back and see them again, those are the guys I would want to watch it, that, that stood out to you. Any of the sports that I mean, you just love coming to College Station. And watching them handle their business on the floor, so the field or the court. Either. Yeah, I mean, in in um, in baseball, there'd be two. It would be uh, Granger, mm-hmm. and then Casey Fossum. Mm-hmm. I mean, those guys were they were nails. Mm-hmm. I mean, a couple of lefties. Yes, yeah. they were. They were. Uh, was that 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 uh, did that predate Super Regional against Clemson? It that was, was the first Super Regional. Was it the first? The Super? first year. A super regional format right. was introduced to college baseball. Yeah, so those two guys in baseball. I tell you, in basketball, my my two all-time favorite uh, basketball players are Donald Sloan and Josh Carter, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Donald Sloan, dude, that's a guy. That's a guy that I want on my basketball team. He was just – he was tough. And, again – Love all those the Joe Jones and the AC Law, Donald Sloan man, mm-hmm. he he was he was tough. And then Josh Carter man, his his stroke was it was spectacular. <laughs> I mean he was really good, smooth. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And then on on the football side, I mean you know there's been there's been a lot of them. I, I don't. You know, who's your favorite? See I was I see I'm glad you're here because I can throw out my favorites and get your take on them because you've seen them. Yeah. So when you when you mentioned baseball, you mentioned your guys. Loved both of those guys. Yeah. I throw in also to watch Jason Tyner yeah. at the plate. Yep. You couldn't get him out. He could hit a chopped ground ball on the infield, and he was safe 100% of the time. Then he was probably going to steal second on you <laughs> and then maybe go to third, too. I just loved watching him play with his speed. and uh, He's the last guy to hit 400 here. Is that so right? That's special in its own right yep. uh, there. When you go to basketball, I do love A.C. Law. One of his teammates, Dominique Kirk, the way he locked people down was a joy to watch. Yep. And then I, I'm such a wrecking crew guy in football, which that's coincides with your time too. I'm sure you loved watching the wrecking crew play. Mm-hmm. It was such a joy to me. I always pinpoint because see, when I was growing up playing junior high football and high school football, I knew I was never any good to do it in college, but that's when I got to play football and love the game. Well, I was a defensive back. So I watched the Aaron Glens and the Ray Mickens 
go to work when I watch A&M football on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Those guys, because it's such a part of my upbringing in the game, I still have a lot of affection for those guys. Anytime I get to talk to them, I I tell them both. I'm like, this is one I kind of geek out on uh, when I talk to you guys. But an Aaron Glenn or a Ray Mickens just loved watching both of them play so much. Well, you know, so uh, listening to you talk about that, I I actually would tell you, I, I give you one offense and one defense, right? And I'm not picking any of the standard, you know. Everybody can pick Johnny Mantell. I love Johnny right. Mantell. He was amazing. It's almost like he's a given. Yeah, he's a given, it's right? Just, he's on your list no matter who you it, are. It's like so, in, in yeah. Will of Fortune. You're going to take R-S-T-L-N-E-O. Any, yeah, the, va- the E is the vowel. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> but but, but um, so obviously uh, for me, I think a lot about Bucky Richardson. Oh, man. Um, I mean, just first of all, I got to know Bucky – um, you know, post um, his playing career, and just it's hard to find a funner person than Bucky Richardson. <laughs> I mean, that dude's a lot of fun. Um, and so, uh, and the other player would be Quentin Corriott. Yeah. And I think when I think about Quentin Corriott, I think about the same thing. And it's not the TCU Kyle McPherson thing, it's him and that Cotton Bowl, which I think would have been the. What was it? It was the 92 oh, Cotton Bowl. that's the first Cotton Bowl I ever attended. Yeah. Florida State. Yeah, Florida mm-hmm. State. And him tackling for a safety, Casey Weldon, mm. in that end zone. Unbelievable it, it, play. It, it was like Casey Weldon was stuck in concrete. It had <laughs> just been, been poured wet concrete, and he was – Quentin Corriott shot out of a can. Yeah. That, that Weldon is actually sprinting as hard as he can, <laughs> yeah. and it looks like he's not moving. <laughs> and this guy was top five in the Heisman voting, yes. this quarterback for Florida yeah. State. I mean, Casey Weldon was not a bad football no, player. He this, was, he was no slouch. joke out there. No, he was not a slouch. And Quentin hawked him down like he was nothing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so if we're going to – I don't know how much time we have left, but if hey, we're going to – We're just going, man. If we're, we're going to reference the biggest heartbreak – and I know I've got I, I know we've all got these right, and I can reference A and M against Memphis and San Antonio yeah, in the Sweet Six. That one was that was a, that was a tough one. But when I think about heartbreak, I think about the '94 Cotton Bowl against Notre Dame. Mm. Uh, I mean, I felt like we we went toe-to-toe with those guys. Our players were just as good as their players. Our coaches had drawn up. It's just a spectacular game plan. I can remember a fourth down touchdown pass to Detron Smith yeah. on, a, on a play action is what I'm recalling. I'm sure somebody could correct me on that, but that's what I recall. But we kicked a punt in the fourth quarter to a guy from Willow Ridge High School in I know Texas who you're talking about, by yeah. the name of Mike Miller. Yep. And Mike – Probably in the recruiting process, a guy A&M wanted oh, it a was, whole lot. It was, I think so, it was down to A&M and Notre Dame. You may be right. I think you are right. And, yeah. and they had another guy on that team by the name of Bobby Taylor who was from Longview. Guess where Bobby Taylor's son is right now. Yeah, I know it. Texas a and I know it. Yeah. I know it. And that's why I say Bobby Taylor, the dad, he owed us one. I know it. He did. He did. But but we, but we Mike Miller received that punt. It was not a bad punt. It was, coverage was good, but this guy was just a freaky athlete. And he didn't return it for a touchdown, but he returned it deep. And then, of course, the, you know, the one that lives and, and – um, you know, everybody remembers it slightly differently, but the attempted 
hook that lateral yes. to Leland that went over his head. And the lateral went high because we threw it to either Brian Mitchell or Tony Harrison, uh, the receiver that tried to lateral, lateral yes. was hit by Bobby Taylor. Yes. And it caused it to go over Leland's head. You watch the replay, Leland, one of the fastest guys in the world, He's gone. Nothing but green grass in front. He's gone. And we win the Cotton Bowl if he's gone. If we complete the lateral, I always say. So that was the year of the famous Notre Dame Florida State game, yeah, where they were one versus two. Notre Dame beat them. Yep. And then they lost to Boston Boston College. Yeah, walked them off of the field goal the next week, probably because they were so spent from the week before in that Florida State game. But by the way, just not not to interrupt, but do you remember the quarterback's name from Notre Dame? That game. McDougal? Kevin McDougal. Kevin. I was going to say Jared McDougal. <laughs> Kevin McDougal. Kevin McDougal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is after Rick Meyer. Yes. Yeah. But A&M <clears throat> completes the lateral, wins the game. Right. Let's just go hypothetical here. They're 11-1. and one, They're Cotton Bowl champions. Florida State won it that year despite that loss to Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. They would have been 11-1. and one. They would have been Orange Bowl champions. They beat Nebraska. In that Orange Bowl, Nebraska was undefeated. They fall back to 11-1. So, hypothetical, we win the Cotton Bowl. A&M 11-1, Florida State 11-1, Nebraska 11-1. I guess I'm reaching here, but you could have said, well, A&M just beat Notre Dame. Florida State lost to them. You're not going to give it to Nebraska. They just lost to Florida State in the Orange Bowl. Why not the Aggies? Probably wasn't going to happen. Well, prob- but but I, th- I think you're I right. I like to play hypothetical well, that way. I do. I do think you know. Back in those days, when you had a UPI mm-hmm. and an AP, yeah, you could get some splits. You could get some splits. Right. Um, I think that, and I think sometimes. I mean, if you go all the way back to '97, right when Nebraska and Michigan split, they split. Right. Yeah. There's no question in my mind, and I don't remember. That was the old BCS era. I don't remember how how it went down, but I think whoever won that BCS national championship game, if I'm if I'm remembering this correctly, people were requ- required to vote a particular way. Mm-hmm. But there was another poll, which I think was the AP poll, right. that they got to vote, and and mm-hmm. those AP voters were like, "Hey, Michigan had a heck of a year. They beat um, wasn't wasn't that Washington State in and, the Rose Bowl in yeah. the Rose Bowl Ryan Leaf Ryan Leaf State, right yeah. and they, they looked at that and they said, "Well, we know Nebraska is going to get it over here. Why don't why don't we do this? Almost, yeah, because you're right in nine, that '93 season and the A&M Notre Dame Cotton Bowl we're talking about had an APA AP champion and a UPI champion. Yep. And I mean, '90 was split. '91 was split. Yep. This is just '93. Yeah, I mean, you can talk split there too. Yeah, I, I, I <laughs> certainly think it's possible. And then, of course, you know, we so we're playing the what if game, right? But um, Johnny Manziel hits Mike Evans right in the bread basket against LSU at the end of the first half. I still say a referee's blown call in that game. <laughs> well, what crushed us no, against LSU? And, and, and I want to be clear about this: Mike Evans, <clears throat> probably the best wide receiver. No, I'm with you. I don't think it's probably. I Bet, think, yeah, flat out is ba- best, best wide we've had. best yeah. we've ever had here. Unbelievable player, but mm-hmm. he did get hit with a rocket from Johnny Manziel, and mm-hmm. it it ricocheted off him. I think LSU intercepted that ball, mm-hmm. and um, that was that was a pivotal pivotal point in that game. Um, but had we beat them, what transpires, right? And of course, a lot of people forget if we beat LSU and we beat 
Alabama. We still have to play Georgia in the SEC championship right. game. Mm-hmm. Win that. And it's game on. I always say Alabama, who did go do it, crush Notre Dame in the championship game. Had Georgia won that game against Alabama, they were going to crush yep. Notre Dame in that championship game. A&M, if they got their shot, <clears throat> I think they hammer Notre Dame in that championship game as well. I do too. So. Yeah, I, I do too. And I and I, but I do. I don't think Georgia should be underplayed. They were really. They, they would have been tough. They would have been really, really tough. And they ended that SEC championship game on the three yard line. Yes. Almost. Yeah. Almost beat Alabama. Almost beat Alabama. Really, really good football team. But that being said, it, you know all of the things that Texas A&M and Texas A&M Athletics has done over the last 20 years is leading up to our ability to not play the what-if game. Yeah. Our ability to say... It's why guys like us appreciate those from the past because they've built it and they've built it and they've built it for the ones that are going to reach that summit here soon. And we are going to get there. Mm -hmm. I 100% believe it with the – coaches and the administration uh, and the support that this program receives from our donors and our season ticket holders, we're going to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's been a minute in football, but, but we're, we're going we're gonna to get there. I've got total belief in them, and uh, we just, just got to keep chugging here, yeah. keep, keep working hard at it. Mm-hmm. Always fun to stroll down memory lane with you, and you're right, we're on our way to that. Uh, but quickly, before you go, a little bit about you, the uh, class of 96. What then led you, the path, speaking of the path, yeah. to where you are now, president and CEO of our 12th Man Foundation? Well, I mean, look, I'll, I'll try and be concise because I can wander all over the place. But I, well, after I graduated um, you know, and did a victory lap and a half or whatever it was that I I'm did. I'm just glad you yeah, got yeah. one of the first Reed Arena graduations. Yeah, I, got a, <laughs> I got a diploma and a ring. Ain't nobody taking that That's one right. from me. Um, but uh, I went down to Houston, uh, lived with my parents for – about three or four months, got a job, uh, an inside sales job in Houston at a company called Matco Norca. Spent a little over a year working there, then did a year at Dell in Austin. And I can remember, Will, I think it was probably the first or second day at Dell. I said to myself, hey, I have got to work somewhere that I feel it in, mm-hmm. in my heart. Mm-hmm. I've got to get and and um, no disrespect to Dell or any other any other place like that, but a big, giant corporation like that wasn't just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after spending that um, year approximately at Dell, I had this will tell you how long ago it was. I actually had mailed a letter to somebody that I knew that worked at the 12th Man Foundation. (laughs) Mailed a letter. I got a call about, I don't know, six months after I mailed the letter. Said, hey, why don't you come over for an interview? Went over for an interview. Sat down with Miles Marks. (laughs) He interviewed me uh, in his office. They sent me a job offer the next day, and that was almost 25 years ago. (laughs) Miles, one of your predecessor one of my predecessors not immediate not immediate yeah but the guy who ultimately signed off on me getting hired at the 12th man foundation worked in annual fund worked in major gifts um assumed the role that i that i filled today um a little over five years ago um i mean it's a it's a fantastic place to work i love the people that i work with i love the people that i work for 
Um, it's an awesome job. And again, every day, Will, when we come to work, right, our mission is make Texas A&M better. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Make Texas A&M better. Mm-hmm. And it's this kind of place you mentioned you had to feel it. There was a void there. It's this kind of place that fills voids. Yeah. For people like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, you do have the passion when you walk through these doors at Kyle Field to go to work. Right. Each day. Well, Im- imagine this for a minute. I, I, just for myself, if you give me a widget to sell, mm-hmm. I, I, mean, I probably can sell it, but I don't love it. Mm-hmm. Right. But what I'm selling here, I love. And I have loved for the entirety of my life. Mm-hmm. It matters to me. And um, and I know you feel the same way as like so many of us within Texas A&M Athletics and the 12th Man Foundation. It deeply matters to us. Um, we want to see great things for this place. We feel like the, it deserves it. Our donors deserve it. And that's what we come here every single day to make happen. It's what we're going to get to. Ever since you walked out of here angry at Doug Flutie. In 1982. Doug Flutie, that (laughs) SOB. That's the perfect way to end. And I hope he hears this. We'll send it. We'll send him the podcast. We'll send it to Boston College. If you know where Doug is, uh, I think he works for NBC or something like that now. I think he calls Uh, Notre Dame games. He he? he does do that, I believe. Or as recently as a year or two ago, he he was doing that. But uh, we only know him. Is that SOB? <laughs> in an affectionate way. Oh, yeah. It's all in good fun. All in good fun. <laughs> Appreciate you, man. Thanks, Will. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.